Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to our first episode covering the 44th Seattle International Film Festival. I'm your host, Aaron, and returning to talk about some of the great festival offerings this year is fellow Seattle film critic and president of the Seattle Film Critics Society, Mike Ward of Should I See It? Oh, is that my cue to talk? It is. How's it going? It's, it's nice to be back. Thank you. Mike, it is awesome to have you back um, again this year for our official annual, second annual year of the Feelin' Films Festival coverage. I actually love your perspective on films. And I know that many of our listeners have actually expressed a hope that you'd be returning. So they oh must also love your perspective. I wondered if you might just tell everybody that is hearing you for the first time, like what is it that you do at your review site? Should I see it? That is like, what is your, per, what is your way of approaching uh, film reviews in case people want to check out your work? Oh, okay. Well, thank you. That's very nice to, know that people were hoping I'd be back. That's, that's, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say with that, but thank you. Yeah. Over it. Should I see it? Basically the idea is to write my review, you know, give you an idea of what I thought of the movie, but to also try to step away from my reaction to the film and think objectively about pros and cons of the film. So regardless of what I think of it, the whole idea about person who might be interested, who maybe doesn't go to the movies every weekend or has limited resources, what would be three reasons to go see the movie? What would be three reasons to not see the movie? And so there's essentially a pro and a con section to everything. And then my review and then a few notes about the the cast and everything. And the whole idea really is just the tagline for the website is film criticism with you in mind. And that's kind of just, I have an opinion, of course, but I want to kind of draw other people in to possibly who are considering a movie who may be writing it down going, well, it's not playing near my city, but maybe I'll, you know, consider this for Netflix or VOD or whatever, you know, just kind of be as inclusive about it as I can recognizing that, you know, movies can be tough to get to a lot of the time. And um, there's a lot of people that just like to see other things other than all the tentpole, big budget stuff. And so you just try to find somewhere in the middle with all of that. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to put it, because that's what I like about your reviews as well, is that you give kind of both, you may like it if you feel this way, or you may not like it if you feel this way, uh, because then you can just read those sections up front, even if you don't read the whole review, which of course we encourage, but you can read those front front sections and determine- My words, you, Aaron. These are you, my words. Do you fall into one of these buckets, <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, is and this film it, maybe for you, maybe for not? Yeah. And the idea really is, you know, to just try to kind of step away, like I said, and just think about what are, I hate to use the term a reasonable person, but just what would someone who's just kind of like, what is this movie? What would, what would be things that they would want to know about it without spoiling anything? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's maybe it's unique. Maybe it's not. It's just, it's a way that I felt I could offer something different among the din and the sort of the clamor of film criticism and blogging and all of that kind of stuff that was proliferating when I was getting started. And that's just kind of stuck and it's what I or we do over there. So awesome. All right. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and jump into this huge monster that is a <laughs> film festival. So this is a festival that's kind of unique in that this sucker runs 
25 days long, unlike many film festivals across the, in fact, most film festivals across the world, unlike them. We open on May 17th, which as of the time of this recording is tomorrow morning, and we close on June the 10th. So there's a long period uh, for Seattleites to get out and see movies. That can be an awesome plus, or that can also be a negative, uh, depending on what you think about like whether or not you have the time to remember to get tickets to something that's a month away, <laughs> you know, or, but it also gives you time if you're a procrastinator, it's kind of like a, should I see it perspective there? Um, yeah, there you go. I like it. So the, the cool thing I think about our film festival is the sheer number of films. Uh, right. It can be daunting because we can't get through them all. And that's a big part of what we're doing with this episode and other episodes here at Feel and Film is we're trying to pick through some of this insanely huge list of movies to give recommendations for folks who clearly are not going to be able to just look at a guide and discern for themselves what in the world is worth seeing. There's so many options. So yeah. can you – why don't you share some of the stats? Because I think that they're pretty staggering every time I hear them, <laughs> to how big this festival is. Okay, well, don't check my math. Let's be clear. I was under the impression there would be no math uh, tonight, today. 433, I'm sorry, I just have to say that number again. 433 films in some capacity will be playing SIF. As I do the math, 168 of those are feature length fiction films 66 are documentaries 10 of them are archival uh historical restoration type projects there's 164 short films which all get compressed into essentially one like four day it's around memorial day so it's like a four-day weekend they they put all of those out on the screen um this year they've expanded their virtual reality 360 degree kind of uh, experimental project uh, films. So there's 21 of those. There's four films that are secret that you cannot talk about. In fact, I got, when I was at the SIF offices, I got to see, uh, I'm, I'm not taking part in the secret film festival, but I got to see someone turn in their form and it is as legal a form as you can imagine. So they are literally bound to say zero, nothing, absolutely stay silent on whatever these four secret films are. It's fascinating. One wow. year I'm going to do it, but I, it's not this year. And then it kind of, Aaron, it kind of breaks down from there. So there's of those films, those 433 films, 35 are world premieres, 46 are premieres in North America, 25 are us premieres. And then it gets even, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole a little bit more where 56% of the films being shown are made by first or second time filmmakers 65% are without U.S. distribution. Uh, 43% are made by women, which is which is great. And then of those, uh, of the films, 53% of what's in competition at the festival are directed by female, which is a huge increase from last year. Directed by females. Sorry. And it's and it's much higher than the majority of the industry and the and the other film festivals that you're ever going to see. I think. That's one of the things yeah. where SIF really stands out. I was putting a poll up on the Feel and Film website just this afternoon. Um, we're having our, our Facebook discussion group do some voting uh, for a project that's going to happen in our August timeframe with regards to the way some episodes are going to run. And I was trying to find groups of four really good films for directors by director. And mm, okay. I can't find 
for well-known films for hardly any female directors. I mean, the percentage is minuscule. And so it's awesome to see Sif giving them more of a chance. And it's also awesome to see all of the first-time directors. You're going to hear us say, listeners, over the next couple episodes or however many that we do, we're going to say a lot of time, feature debut film, because there there are so many directors who are getting a shot to put their work out here for the first time. And so despite the enormity of this festival and how difficult it can be for viewers and even for critics to get through and wade, wade through all of these films, it's all a positive and it's in service of filmmaking and filmmakers. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And then what's unique about this too, is I was, I was actually talking with somebody about SIF and you would think perhaps that with a, you know, a slate this big, that this would be rife with acquisitions that studios would descend upon. I mean, we just said 65% of the films lack us distribution right now. Um, so you would assume that this is just an acquisition festival like we're used to hearing. And really, with some exceptions, I'm sure, but SIF is not TIFF. It's not Sundance. It's not any of these other festivals. This is really just an audience based festival. You know, if anything, the programmers that, that, that book this festival, you know, I think the number we heard at the press launch was that there was no, it was somewhere plus or minus 4,700 submissions were viewed by the programming staff, which is an astronomical number to think about. And of course, those are shorts and documentaries and features and stuff, but 4,700 of anything is a lot. And so, you know, just to kind of see the depth that which they go into to try to figure out who is our audience, what will they come to, what do we want to put SIF's name behind, this this is a pretty immense undertaking that I imagine starts next year's festival probably starts the day after the press launch, quite honestly, before the festival even starts exhibiting films to the audiences. So, you know, we're, we're, we're in just this bubble. Uh, we agree to cover it. There is no way humanly possible. You can cover 433 films in a year, much less in four weeks. So I, I know kind of Aaron, how you go about it. It may be similar to what I do. I just see what is available as press that we can view at home. I see what's available for us to go to the theater and see, and I kind of plan that out. And then I just look at the festival and I figure out, I kind of get in where I fit in and suddenly it's June 10th this year and we're done. And what happened? You know? So, and then we just sit back and think about, Oh yeah, saw that at SIF. I missed that at SIF for, you know, cause we see these movies pop up throughout the rest of the year or even into next year once the acquisitions do take place. So it's a unique gigantic, awesome experience. And um, you never know what you're going to (laughs) find. Even if you read a synopsis with actors, you know, and uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about some of that here, but uh, anyway, so yeah, for, for our listeners, uh, we're going to go through a list of about seven films tonight. And I think our second episode I've got scheduled is also going to have another seven. It's got a couple of slightly bigger named titles. Uh, There just aren't a lot of those at SIF. They're not movies that even in cinephile circles, you're necessarily going to have heard about uh, because they are debuts and such. But for those of you in Seattle, we will give showtimes to all of these screenings so that you hopefully can get yourself tickets to ones that sound interesting. And for those of you that are not in Seattle, put these on your radar, put a, put a memory little stick in your head and remember the name, seek these out when they do finally get distributed to some sort of form of way for you to see them. All right. Our first one, Mike, we're going to talk about is a feature debut uh, by a director, British director named Michael Pierce. Mm-hmm. This movie 
is called Beast. This was one that jumped on my radar pretty quickly, actually, when I saw the trailer for this and heard the synopsis. So this movie synopsis is a troubled woman living in an isolated community finds herself pulled between the control of her oppressive family and the allure of a secretive outsider suspected of a series of brutal murders. So we knew it was going to be some sort of a little bit of a psychological thriller. Mm -hmm. And for my money, uh, I went in thinking it might be a little bit faster paced than it was. It ended up being quite slow. It is a gorgeous film. It's uh, shot on this island uh, in Britain. uh, And it is, the cinematography is wonderful. It's, it's a great location for this. It really helps sell the isolation that the characters are experiencing. It's got an, performance here by the lead actress her name is jesse buckley and her name is jesse buckley and she is a first-time actress shockingly and that's surprising because i think it's a name that you're going to want to remember it's a name you're going to hear again i really felt like this was kind of a star making turn for her right off the bat she Mm -hmm. is amazing and the male lead his name is johnny flynn and what's interesting here is that he's actually a band singer uh so he's a musician and you know normally he looks very clean cut very boy band-esque but even though he's a folks music folky musician but you know how musicians look good well he doesn't look good in this he looks like a scraggly you know suspected (laughs) serial killer and he does a great job as well of um kind of having that traumatic look to him He's, he's tortured internally I enjoyed this film mostly. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. It is a very slow burn. It's kind of got these moments of high intensity that happen, and then it drops back down into a long period of just quiet psychological depth. I think that it's got a lot going on metaphorically that I probably was just not wanting to engage in, honestly, and dive into very much took a little bit too long to resolve for me. It does have a a crescendo at the end toward a pretty powerful and the most memorable part of the movie (laughs) is the ending in my opinion. (laughs) So it's worth seeing if you like those slow burn thrillers with a great performance and it's just a really pretty movie. What, how was your experience with it? You know, I echo much of what you're saying about it. I I do think that one of the things that a friend of mine, he's a he's a film critic who lives in the East Coast, and he's coined a term "first film itis," and and he's kind of put in place some ideas, um, some common traits, if you will, about the you know first time filmmakers who will sometimes stumble into scenes that hang too long, or they 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 can't let something go with the story, so they just pad it unnecessarily. The movie bloats a little bit. I think some of those things are in play here, especially when. I would say probably the first, and I'm trying to remember time. I I don't remember the exact time cues or anything, but probably the first half, you know, I think that could be tightened up a little bit. We, we get a sense of um, Jesse Buckley's character mall just being, Oh, I don't know. An afterthought, someone who's kind of always there, but never there. Um, She is easily kind of dismissible and she kind of plays into that a little bit, but we're taken by her. And partly it's because, uh, the camera loves Jesse Buckley. You know, she is, you're right. This is a performance, I would say, better than the movie it's in, but also a pretty significant debut that 
makes me kind of want to follow her, you know, and see where she goes after this. I would not expect that she's a first time actress or at least a first time featured actress. And she really has some great chemistry with Johnny Flynn, the Pascal character, uh, Pascal played by Johnny Flynn, like you said. I think the movie does gain some traction when they're together. There's also an extended period, if I'm remembering correctly, where he kind of disappears from the story. And a lot of movies would, would sort of buckle when that chemistry goes away. But Buckley is so good that the movie kind of, it takes on a different layer of itself at that point. And it kind of shifts a little bit. And there's this overwhelming sense of this guy may not be who he, we think he is. There's a lot going on here. And then kind of levels back off and again, builds to a nice ending. I think for me, Beast's deficiencies come in just the inconsistency of the tone. The acting is top notch. I can see people just kind of settling in and, and looking past some of the, some of the mistakes or the, the gaffes and just kind of, no, I've committed to this. I want to see it through. Um, it's kind of where I was, maybe where you were. To me, this feels like a, an indie that you would you would maybe stumble onto. It fits really nice in a festival because it doesn't, you know, it's not a bad movie. It's just it's a it's a it's a good one. And it might throw some people, it might be easily figured out. I mean, I guess you bring your own movie watching experiences to that, but overall. I enjoyed it. I, I think it's good. There's enough here to keep me intrigued by what these folks do next. Yeah, I'm there too. And that's that's kind of the running consistent thing that I've felt with all of the films I've viewed so far for SIF is that all of them have been okay or better for me, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Uh, I have not watched any duds. Now, I am picking them via you know synopsis or trailer, so I'm choosing things and kind of cherry picking things that I think I'm going to like, but you know, so far I've had a good experience with them all. Uh, If you're in Seattle and looking to see beast, you can do that May 20th at 8 PM at arc lodge cinemas or May 21st at 9 30 PM at AMC Pacific place. Also, let me add too, because I I, I was actually seeing an email uh, just now. (laughs) I didn't just get it just now, but I was checking an email about something else. Beast is actually opening in theaters on the 25th. Oh, that's right. This is one of those few that are coming yeah. to wide release very quickly. The the publicist was emailing me, asking me my thoughts on it. So that's how I come. I saw the email. Um, so, you know, beast, you won't have to wait too long. If you miss it, if you're in Seattle and you miss it, it'll come, it'll be in theaters very soon after. If you're in another part of the country, it'll be there for you. So awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to switch gears and we're going to go from beasts to cats, which are also sort of beasts. Yeah. Beasts uh, of their kind, right? Yeah, we are going to talk about several documentaries today, and this is one of them. This one is called Catwalk, Tales from the Cat Show Circuit. And (laughs) at its, (laughs) I know, at its basic level, the synopsis is simply this. Cat fanciers have their pets compete for the feline crown. Now, I like my own synopsis better, so I'm just going to read it from my capsule review. I said this. I said, people love cats. Some people love cats so much that they travel the country attending what amounts to a beauty contest for their feline companion. And Catwalk tells some of these amusing stories while detailing the surprisingly complex and competitive world of cat shows as seen through the nail biting race for number one between puffy red Persian Ulala and <laughs> playful Turkish Angora Bobby. All right. That's oh, the real synopsis. Mike, what did you think of Catwalk? Oh my gosh. I had way more fun with this than I, than I should have catwalk. So this is a festival. Let me just back up. You remember Ketty, Aaron? 
the oh, Turkish. Of course, I remember Kenny. Yes, very. Yeah, much the so. Turkish documentary mm-hmm. about cats in Istanbul who just live among people. You know, you may remember too that Keddy sold out all three of its SIF showings. They turned people away all three times. They actually brought it back. They leave a few slots open the last day or two of the festival to kind of slot some things in. They put Keddy in a fourth showing. It sold out. They brought it back. Keddy like took Seattle by storm. Okay. So it did not surprise me in the least that Catwalk somehow makes it into the festival, even though it was, um, I learned a CBC Canadian television documentary originally. And it plays a little bit like a television documentary. You know, there's kind of, I don't want to say there's commercial breaks built into it, but you can kind of see that like it fades to black, it fades back up. You know, you kind of get a sense of, oh, this is a little different. That said, this movie's bonkers. Like I, (laughs) I found this to be really entertaining. I don't know that it's a great movie, like structurally. And if you get all critic minded about it, you know, which you can't on this, it is a documentary about two women and their cats competing in a cat show with an interloper who has the audacity (laughs) to come in at the last, in the last few shows of this circuit, which I thought was an awesome little build into the movie. This is just pure entertainment. It's, it's, it's short. It's efficient. It's funny. These two women, the one woman in particular, the owner of help me again with the uh, Lala and Bobby, Bobby, this woman, the cat show circuit means so much to her, Mm -hmm. like more than most things mean to most people Mm -hmm. to the point where she, she just thinking about possibly winning or placing she tears up. She's mm-hmm. literally lives life through a scorecard of how many points Bobby has versus uh, ooh la la. And then all these other cats, she's nice to the ooh la la owner until she's caught kind of being like, I can't I'm going to say catty and like gossipy <laughs> to her. I mean, this, this, it's, it's a little bit like my wife and I watched this together and she was like, this is a little like dance moms on the cat show circuit. And I think that's kind of fair. Although the ooh-la-la owner, she, she's very nice. And I think she sees what's going on. But she's also got a cat that's gaining momentum in this cat show circuit and is getting compliments like the greatest cat I've ever seen from judges. And I mean, I don't know. I, I had a ball with this, Aaron. I, I did too. I, we watched this together, my kids. So I gave them a list of films that they could look at. And this was one that jumped out immediately. And they said, dad, you have to get this. You have to get this. I said, <laughs> of course. Cause we, you know, I have three cats surrounding me right now as we talk. Um, and Persians are my favorite breed. I don't have a Persian right now. I have at various times in my life and I've always wanted to get another one, but I'm at the point now where as awful as this is going to sound like there's no new cats until I sadly lose a cat. Um, we, we I'm kind three- of, Hey, I, I I see one right there. You just saw one. That's a Maine Coon who actually, uh, in reality, could probably, we were talking about this, he could probably be a competitive cat, although I don't think he would sit still long enough to place or, or get judged. Anywho. Stay away from Bobby's owner. I, exactly. I'm with you. This was so much fun. We laughed so hard. And you're right. It's not a critically, interestingly filmed documentary. So much of this material is in high school gyms that have been converted for a quick cat show on a random Saturday afternoon or like, you know, meeting halls at American Legion, things like that. This is not high level, um, high money, uh, provocative type of competition. 
But what they did, this isn't the Westminster, Westminster Kennel Club dogs. No, no, it's not. But what they did <laughs> is they spice it up a little by giving us these animated graphics throughout that show us cats positions on the scoreboard and how they're gaining or losing ground. And it just, it made it a lot more interesting. The cinematography here is wonderful. I mean, there's nothing you almost win by default because all you gotta do is just zoom in on the cat and wait and Mm -hmm. you're good because these cats are so beautiful and they're fun. And I don't know, it's great. It is one of the most joyful experiences of a documentary you're going to ever have. If you love cats, this is a must see. And it's one that you can take your whole family to. So, Absolutely. You know, not all of these movies are ones you can take your kids to, but this is one you can do that too. And it sounds like we both highly recommend it. Oh yeah. You, how do you not enjoy this movie? Even people that don't like cats, how do you not enjoy just the spectacle people freaking out because the pro wrestling organization that's in their Legion hall is running late and they can't set up the night before. And the, the cat show starts the next morning. And what are we going to do? I mean, just the whole drama of it all is just, Sitting, sitting apart from it, not being in it, just watching it unfold. It's past more popcorn. Absolutely. Well, this one is playing uh, Showtimes. There are three of them at SIF this year. May 19th, coming up right around the corner at 3.30 in the afternoon at SIF Cinema Uptown. May 20th at 1 p.m. at SIF Cinema Uptown. And June 2nd, so that one's a little bit further out. You can plan for that one, 3.30 in the afternoon at the Shoreline uh, location. You can get tickets to all of these, by the way, if you're in the Seattle area, just go to sif.net slash festival. There's a link in the show notes and you can find your tickets there. You can just buy a package to go to several films or you can buy them a la carte. Yeah. Okay. Good luck. Good luck getting to catwalk on that opening weekend. Your best bet might be June 2nd. Yeah. And getting I'm them now. You, this thing is going to sell out. Seattle loves cats. So. They do. <laughs> all right. The next film we're going to talk about is called Champions or Campiones. Um, hmm. This is directed by a Spanish director named Javier Fesser. I was not familiar with him. And frankly, I kind of watched this by accident. Uh, I, I wasn't, <laughs> I, 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 I think I misunderstood the, the pre- I misunderstood the premise. I, I saw that it was about basketball and I stopped reading. What it's actually about is pretty interesting. It's about a gentleman who is a second or assistant coach for a professional Spanish league basketball team, the equivalent of their NBA. He's very, very good, but he is a jerk. Okay. He's your typical kind of bad attitude, egotistical, just doesn't accept other people. And, and, and the world revolves around him. He's got an estranged wife we learn about him right away. He gets a parking ticket and starts berating this mentally challenged parking attendant right off the bat, making fun of him. Well, he loses his job and he gets community service and has to go coach a Special Olympics basketball team, which, of course, that parking attendant happens to be on. Now, right. that's the key okay. here. This is a by-the-numbers movie. There's nothing unique about this story. As far as the trajectory of how it goes, it's a telegraphed ending. You're not going to be shocked at what happens. It's about a man who's a jerk who gets to do something and learn about the humanity of actual other human beings through interacting with and having to be a part of their lives. And he comes out better on the other side for it. And they come out better for it as well. That's the story. I'm not giving it away. (laughs) But 
darn it if I wasn't just really impressed. You know, it starts off pretty slow, but once he gets in with these players and you start to learn all of their unique personalities, you know, some of them have physical ailments, some of them have intellectual disabilities, but it becomes this genuinely emotional progression for this coach um, played by Javier Gutierrez. And you can see it, you know, it is a wonderful performance. And I was moved to the point of tears at one point. It just warmed my heart. My uh-huh. ex-wife is a, a special education teacher in mm-hmm. high school. So this is a, an area that is very close to me in a lot of ways. Something I, I hear a lot about frequently. I have another friend who's a special education, close friend who's a special education teacher. And so I loved seeing these young people, these young adults have such an effect on him and they're all wonderfully acted. I don't, I don't know if they are, they actually have these disabilities or not, frankly, because they're so perfectly depicted. Um, and yet it's just charming. It's funny. It's a good, it's a good movie. Uh, it's really, really good. I guess it is blowing up the box office in Spain and that's part of what got it over here. It's just dominating and, and folks are going in, in large droves to see this one there. So I'm hoping that it gets picked up. Let me ask you a question. So, you know, what you describe, we get movies like this in the States domestically a lot. And because we get them a lot, they tend to become kind of lazy and definitely formulaic. What do you think like would be the difference? So it's interesting that a movie that American studios tend to just churn out because they just need the feel good kind of sports movie or inspirational movie. Does it feel different because it has a different take on a similar type of story? Or is it is it just that it's the optics are different, that it's from Spain and it's you know, it just is kind of giving us that same sort of feel good premise, but in a different way? Like where where did it seem better for you? I think it's because it gave so much agency or responsibility to the cast of characters. I mean, okay. this is a team of what one two three four five probably ten different individuals and we get to know a lot about all of them it's not just about the coach's journey and the fact that the kids learn so much from it they come out different um it's not it's not just about them winning the championship and it's also got an interesting little added element to it that is a bit of realism because back in i don't know what it was the early 2000s spain actually had to forfeit a I think second place finish in special Olympics basketball because two of their only two of the players on the team were actually disabled. They were using real or like non-disabled players, which is heinous. Like and this movie condemns it by kind of putting that into these characters. One of them is one of the two that was actually disabled and on that team. And he's trying to deal with that. He's got trauma from that experience. Oh, interesting. So, so I, I think it's deeper, honestly. And okay. frankly, it's just the heart and the the whimsy of the way the story plays out. It's too long. It's also too long. But yeah, I was looking the running time's about one twenty or a yeah, little longer. Yeah. It, yeah. it should have been closer to one thirty. Or not, uh sorry, to an hour and a half. Okay. But all that being said, it's one that I would definitely go see. And it's a feel good movie, another one you can take your kids to. 
Um, if you want to get your kids into a subtitled film, this is a great choice because it's got good lessons. Yeah. Good, good to hear. I'm going to write that down. So this one has three screenings as well. June the 1st at 9 p.m. at Kirkland Performance Center. June the 8th at 6.15 p.m. at SIF Cinema Uptown with the director present for that Q&A. And then June the 9th at 3 p.m. at SIF Cinema Uptown, also with the director. So a couple opportunities to nice. hear Javier uh, Pressert, and I, I always recommend those. I think those are great experiences for people. So if you have an opportunity to attend one, you should always do that. It's fascinating to get to hear a director's or a star actor or cinematographer or anybody that worked on a movie's perspective. Well, and that's the thing about SIF too. And and I know other festivals do it, but we're also looking at, again, a festival that stretches for 25 days. There are connected people to these movies all over the city every single day. <laughs> I mean, you know, we get the list in our email that the following people are in town this week. And it's, I mean, any movie of significance largely has somebody connected to it, either there for the premiere showing or they fly in for one of the two or three showing. I mean, if you want to meet, you know, if you want to hear some Q and a or potentially meet some of the folks behind these movies, SIF gives you plenty of opportunity if you're a ticket buyer. So. Yep. It is very cool. Well, the next one we're going to talk about, we're going to stick in the sports arena and we're going to discuss a documentary called the Russian five. And do you want to, well, I'll read the synopsis and then I'll let you tell me what you thought about this one. So this is the dramatic story of the five Russian hockey stars who helped propel the Detroit Red Wings to two Stanley Cup championships and created one of the most memorable chapters in Motor City sports history. The film gives a behind-the-scenes story of the Red Wings' strategy in luring these five Russian players, uh, including under the cover of night uh, defections (laughs) of Sergei Fedorov and Vladimir Konstantinov, two of the star players. It also provides new insight into many key moments in the Wings' history, including Coach Scotty Bowman's decision to play the Russian Five as a single line at the same time, the bloody rivalry between the Wings and Colorado Avalanche, uh, the 96-97 Stanley Cup run, and also the horrific limousine accident that ended up seriously injuring Konstantinov um, and one of the other players in the celebration aftermath after they won a championship. Mm-hmm. So how did this one play for you? And I guess before you before you answer, what do you think about NHL or hockey in general? And then tell me what, how this played for you. Okay. Well, yeah. So hockey is something I've not followed in a really long time. I followed it when I was in high school and kind of when I got to college, it just, you know, other things took my interest. And uh, I'm a huge sports fan, uh, huge hockey, just because, you know, here in Seattle, we, we've never had a team and, you know, Vancouver is, you know, sort of close to us, but not really. And, you know, there just wasn't, I never really could get into the minor league programs or any of that. So hockey just kind of left. And um, with that, a lot of this story was new to me, quite frankly. I knew Sergei Fedorov, Sergei Fedorov, excuse me, I, I know about, I of course know about the Red Wings, know a little bit about the Red Wings and Avalanche series. I wasn't aware of a lot of the details that went into uh, this story, and I can see why they made a documentary of this. Russia is obviously something we hear in the news every single day. I won't go into politics, but obviously it's all around us in various different capacities and it has been for a while. And so 
it's this movie does a nice job of reminding us not everything going on in that country is is horrible yet it also reminds us that prior to Mikhail Gorbachev becoming the prime minister there there were reasons why people wanted to leave so you get this interesting sort of dynamic between sort of the yin and the yang of what it was like to be in Russia and through the filter of sports you know it's it's not hard to think about um you know if you, if you're aware of the US Russia Olympic game from 1980 the famous you know upset of of the Russian national team you know that's kind of in the back of your mind when you watch this as well i don't know you know it's it's an interesting documentary it covers a lot of ground that i found to be really interesting however <laughs> I don't know if you are not a hockey fan or have an interest in hockey. I'm not exactly sure this movie does a lot to bring you into the fold. And so I think there's some limiting factors to it that are just maybe inherent with the way it was created and designed. Doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. it's not successful in what it does. But I think this maybe isn't a movie that non-hockey fans are going to look at the synopsis and go, well, I'm going to watch this movie. You know, I think it just caters to a particular a particular audience, yep. and there's nothing wrong with that. Nope, I would agree with that. I think if you have any interest or have had at any point in your life interest in hockey or even sports, I think it's going to be accessible enough that you're going to get something out of it. Um, it's it's made by a man named Joshua Real, and I think actually it comes at a perfect time for our community because we are starving for our own hockey team. So this kind of gives you an idea of what it's like to go from a bad hockey team to a good, uh, what it takes to make that jump that the Red Wings did from the 80s to the 90s. Most of us, if you're a hockey fan, you'll remember the Red Wings had a run in the 90s that started with this Russian five of where they made the playoffs like 20 something years in a row. I mean, it was ridiculous. And they were the the Jordan Bulls of the NHL for a you know decade. And so this shows them before that, when they were terrible and how that started to come about. I don't, what's interesting to me is that I don't love the espionage piece of this. It starts off trying to tell the story about this defection and how they secretly, you know, you know, in a club behind closed doors, get to meet Fedorov and they're trying to woo them. And, you know, these players are worried that their families are going to be killed if they come over here. It's crazy. Yeah. And, I didn't love it tries to be kind of fancy with the documentary filmmaking at that point. It's like fancied up. It's it's hard to explain how they do it, but I didn't love that. What I did love is I just loved it because it has so much archival game footage. I got to see so much hockey (laughs) and I don't love hockey these days, but I remember being a somewhat fan at this time watching some of these games. I remember the brawls that happened between the Red Wings and the avalanche that were entire team blood all over the ice brawls. And they're shown here. Mm -hmm. And I I remember that. And, you know, it's got this kind of background soundtrack to this documentary during a lot of these game footage. It just has this rock star quality to it. Um, It goes from shocking to heartbreaking uh, to the accident that occurs ultimately to being a triumphant story about how, this team and not just the Russians, but the whole team and the whole city embraced them into their family. Uh, and they all became winners, uh, but not just winners on the ice. You know, they became winners in life. And oh gosh, that sounds so cliche, but it's <laughs> true. And I, I really enjoyed it. 
I really, really enjoyed this one. I was not thinking I was going to like it as much because I don't love hockey and I ended up liking it more, but I am a sports fan. So that's why I kind of add that caveat. Yeah. There's, um, I I guess the movies beyond the, the, well, the, the folks, well, Fedorov and there's a, I'm forgetting his name, sadly, but there's a couple of players that get a majority of the time. And then there's this guy, Jim Devolano, who is just this unique, he just, there's something, the way he talks, the way he carries himself, he's just a quirky, the GM? nutty, yeah, the GM, yeah. just a quirky, nutty guy. And I found myself like liking him, never wanting to be in the same room with him, but kind of liking him from like a. I look at this guy as a character kind of standpoint because he's just kind of an odd, self-absorbed kind of guy. So he's a little bit of an interesting twist to the story because the movie, you're right. It, I mean, it does it does what documentaries tend to do when they're trying to validate their existence. And it's it's they throw in things like what you're talking about. Like they they embellish and, and look. Maybe it happened this way. I, I kind of agree with you. I think there's some embellishing that goes on. I think there's a little bit of a inflation of sort of the art of the film that that maybe the story doesn't lend itself to. But to be fair, the movie does come back around with the the limousine accident to Konstantinov, and it finds some heart there that it kind of desperately needs at that point because it does kind of go through the motions a little bit of once we get kind of past that opening defection and all that kind of stuff, it does kind of go a little bit by the numbers, you know, it kind of just this happened and this happened. And then we talk about this and this happened. So when we get to that point, it does a nice job of kind of focusing in the right place. You know, I don't know that this is a documentary we'll be talking about in the fall and seeing it show up on short lists for awards and things like that. But think for what it tries to do, I, I think it, it, it could find an audience and it, it, does a nice job. It, it feels like this would play really great on maybe 30 for 30 or ESPN could pick this up and, and just run it around the clock during hockey season. And yep. it would just be totally fine. Yep. I would, I would agree. Hopefully they do. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Well, this one, this one's playing uh, May 19th at five 30 at Civ cinema uptown with the director Q and a for that one. Uh, May 20th at 6 PM at majestic Bay. Also, with the director here. And then later in the month, May 29th at 9 PM at the shoreline location. The next film, Mike is one that I have not seen. I believe it's the only one we're going to talk about today that I haven't seen. And this okay. is on Chessel beach. This is the wow. next film from uh source Ronan after her amazing work in lady birds is an actress that we all care about. We all love. Mm-hmm. And let's see. The synopsis for this is, in 1962, England, a young couple finds their idyllic romance colliding with issues of sexual freedom and societal pressure, leading to an awkward and fateful wedding night. That sounds like something right up her alley. How was it, man? (laughs) Well, let's see. Let's start with Saoirse Ronan. There are going to be eyes on this movie because it is the follow-up to Lady Bird and her um, Oscar nomination. Uh, Some people feel she should have won the Oscar. Some people, you know, she did win the Seattle. Didn't she win? Our, she won our best actress award. I feel like she did. Maybe not. I don't have that in front of me. A lot of people love Saoirse Ronan and for good reason. She she's shown in her young career. She can do kind of anything. She's great in this movie. She plays Florence who is, you know, married to Edward. This is, they, they've gotten married. This is 
it's honeymoon night and they are uneasy with each other about what's going to occur. And, you know, there isn't really a doubt that they love each other initially. They, they have good chemistry together. Uh, I should mention that her, her husband is Edward and that's played by an actor named Billy Howell. And you're kind of right. I mean, the premise is that they get through the honeymoon. uh, They decide to consummate the marriage. Things go poorly and everything gets called into question because that incident or that moment that takes place brings forth so much unspoken emotion and unspoken uh, anxiety and just timidness that, well, everything gets called into question at that point between Florence and Edward. And so that's basically the, 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 the nuts and bolts of it. I find, and I know this was a popular book. I'm not sure if it was the best selling, but I just know a lot of people that have heard this title and they go, Oh, I, I know that book. Like, really? Okay, great. It may work as a book. And in fact, I bet that there's a lot of layers to their relationship and the pasts uh, that they bring into their marriage and all the things that swirl around them that give great rise to being in a book as a movie, you have to get to the, the moment. I mean, you only have a couple hours theoretically. So you got to get to the moment and you have to kind of rush through a whole lot of stuff to get this movie to probably resemble the book, not read the book. That's not obvious by you now. And quite honestly, I don't think the movie works. I think that, it just seems strange. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll just say it. It seems strange that this one moment can have such a ripple effect in the context of a two hour film. And so what you're left watching is, you know, and Billy Howell, I, it was funny. I, I had a certain reaction to his performance. I went and looked online because this film has played other festivals. And I think even, uh, some some British critics have seen it. People seem to like his performance quite a bit. I, I didn't. I found it off-putting, and I found it just tonally off from what the rest of the movie is trying to do. I, I can freely admit I'm probably alone in that regard, but it just heightened my dissatisfaction with what I was seeing. I, I just don't know that the movie earns the emotions it puts before us And I have to believe that it's a book to screenplay transition that causes that to happen. Okay. Which we'll see what happens with it. I I, kind of think this is a movie that's just going to kind of get a few weeks in theaters and just kind of wash away and she's on to the next thing. And, and, you know, movies exist for that reason. You know, people don't stop working. They take on projects and she maybe loved the book and helped get right. it. Made. I don't know, but well, they're not all going to be, they're not all going to be hits. I mean, that's, that's kind of the point yeah. of this is we're trying to tell people what they don't necessarily need to spend their time on. So sounds yeah, it sounds to me, bu- it was a bummer. Sounds to me like, yeah, unfortunately, but there are, these are going to exist. So uh, if you do want to go check out on Chesil beach though, you can do that May 25th at seven thirty PM in shoreline or June 2nd, uh, 3 PM at SIF cinema uptown. So it is there if you are so inclined and in getting your Sorcerer Ronin, Ronin fix. If you've read the book, you might want to go see it and just tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. All right. Well, the next film is a one that you've not seen, I know. It's called uh, Bodied. And this one came out of nowhere for me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even 
sure who the director was until I Googled the name and then I put two and two together. This is the newest film from director Joseph Kahn. And Joseph Kahn is mostly known for his music video collaborations with big time artists like Taylor Swift. He's made a lot of great music videos. He has made a lot of great music videos. And he also put out a couple of years ago an R-rated Power Rangers short film that made the rounds and everyone absolutely loved. And I will tell you, it is much better than the movie that we got. It's too bad that he didn't get to make that movie. Well, it's because he made an film, R-rated Power Rangers movie, probably. It's like- <laughs> well, it's still better. But this one, yeah, yeah, this no, no, one, this is, I'm going to read the synopsis and then I'll tell you about it. So the synopsis is, a progressive graduate student, white, I'll add, finds success and sparks outrage when his interest in battle rap as a thesis subject becomes a competitive obsession. I was like, okay, this has been picked up by YouTube Red. It's written by a music video director. And that's your premise? Is it a white guy getting into battle rap? Yeah, this is not going to go well. <laughs> But it's at but, a festival, so... But, but, but. Yeah. This has been the most shocking movie that I have seen so far. And I think I've seen now a baker's dozen of films from Sith. And it shocked me, okay? Eminem was a producer for this. I should have taken note of that in the beginning mm-hmm. and realized that was a good thing. This is high intensity. It is full-on satire. And it is a lyrical exploration of PC culture as we know it today. This guy, Adam's journey is crazy. And this is one of the most smart scripts that I have seen all year. I will personally be having this one in my little toolbox waiting for nominations. I think it's that good. People are going to be afraid of that because it offends Every race, every gender, every ethnicity, every sexual orientation, every religion that you can imagine is offended <laughs> in this movie. Okay. It is a non, it's non-biased. It goes after everybody within the context of battle rap happening. That's what battle rap is. And it's essentially these two people who get in a circle in the middle of a circle with people around them and they insult each other somewhat rhyming. <laughs> And it's like beat poetry, only it's mean beat poetry. So it's wild. But the way that this documentary is filmed, I mentioned it's high intensity. It gets the energy up right off the bat and it never lets up. We get it. I would define it as eight mile meets Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Wow. Okay. And I know that Brian Tallarico of RogerEbert.com actually made the same comparison. So I feel like I'm on the right track. But when I saw that, I was like, hey, that's exactly what I thought. It's got this opening section where we're meeting two of these battle rappers in the Killer Fornia Battle Rap League. <laughs> and they I, have. I couldn't they, qualify for that, by the they way. They have names. Well, you don't know. You don't know. They have names, they have stats. So you get like Megaton and it's like strengths. Um, you know, hot bars, uh, beats, negatives, um, you know, weak at comebacks. Susceptible like, to crying. No. Yes, exactly. Stuff like that. <laughs> and so then at various points in the film, you'll also see these visual animations kind of pop up very much like you do in Scott Pilgrim, where random things will appear on the screen and then the actors can kind of interact with them in, in very brief moments. 
So it's got that little bit of a surreal quality, fantasy quality to it. It's awesome. The rap battles, I, I kid you not, it's probably too long. It's a mm. two hour movie. So if I was, that's the only thing I'm knocking it for, honestly. But the rap battles, when they do happen, are going to become the stuff of legend. Like, and I think what's intriguing about this movie is with all of this offensive lyrical words that are being used and all of this rap battling that is just straight up people being mean to each other. The fact is we are enjoying this as an audience and that's the critique. That's big part of the satire of this movie is that you need to look at yourself and go, why do I find this fun? Why am I, why am I excited by these two people who are completely tearing each other apart? (laughs) even if they say it's just art and we're good at the end of it, it explores that. So I think this is going to do gangbusters. It's not picked up to my knowledge, just YouTube red right now. Okay. Between this and Cobra Kai, YouTube red is killing it. And (laughs) I I really do think this movie is going to just blow people away. It's going to offend plenty of people. Don't get me wrong. People that don't get the satire aspect are going to be like, click, turn that off after five minutes. That is, I cannot listen to that. But for those that understand where it's coming from, phenomenal, phenomenal. One of the best movies of the year. I, I love it. And I, I highly suggest everybody go check this one out. Nice. I'm going to, I'm going to keep that on my radar. You know, Eminem, you know, some of the best scenes in eight mile were his battle rap scenes where he's exactly. attempting to, you know, we talked about justifying your existence earlier with, you know, how directors sometimes do that, you know, for him, he knows nothing else. And so the battle rap sequences in eight mile are so significant to that movie's sort of overall statement of of strength and resolve that it's interesting that this is built around a series of those. I had no idea. Just like there was a cat show circuit, there's the there's the battle rap circuit that these people are on. It's I'm gonna check that out. That's good awesome. Stuff, man. It's good stuff. It's got some emotion to it too. So Excellent. the show times for this are actually later. They're at the very end of the festival, the last two days. So there's plenty of time. Get your tickets now, Seattle. Get them now. Showtimes are June 9th at 9.30, Sif Cinema Egyptian, and June 10th, this is the last day of the festival, at 9.15 at Sif Cinema Egyptian. So that's one of the two best theaters, one of the two prime Sif theaters, and one of the very last showings of the festival. So they know that, that there's a reason it's in that prime slot. I think that these theaters are going to be packed, and I think... I may have to go because I think it's going to be an amazing theater experience. It's going to be one of those where you're just being like, oh, and, ooh, you know, constantly <laughs> as an audience. The Egyptian is a wonderful, there's a such history. That's a whole nother mm-hmm. podcast. But there's yeah. such history to the Egyptian. Um, it's it's a special place to see a movie. If, you, if you're anywhere in the Capitol Hill, Seattle area, check it out. All right. Well, one more. We'll go through one more. Mm-hmm. This film we're going to end with, uh, I think we both enjoyed, and I wanted to end, make sure we ended on a high. <laughs> this one, uh, that was not even intentional. <laughs> this one is, yeah, no it's called in- Mountain. Hey, film's called Mountain. It is a documentary by a nature documentarian named Jennifer Petum, who is mm-hmm. very much into telling stories about the world around us. Synopsis is an epic cinematic and musical collaboration between Sherpa filmmaker Jennifer Petum and the Australian Chamber Orchestra that explores humankind's fascination with high places, narrated by Willem Dafoe. Got my yeah. attention right away for multiple reasons. Obviously, Willem Dafoe. I actually did not read the synopsis 
far enough to know that this was an an orchestrated score. So that was a surprise to me. Yeah. But I knew it was going to be about mountains, which I absolutely love. Films about climbing. So I'm going to ask you though first, like, what did you think of this one? I was blown away by it. Actually, I think it's a movie that I sit and I wonder sometimes when I watch movies how things can slip through. I don't know if it's people's hands, if it's studios. I maybe just things get made and they just don't. You know, people start moving and acquiring and doing things, and suddenly this movie exists. Mountain is a gorgeous film to watch. It is, it's, it's just flat out breathtaking at times. And, and I was texting you, Aaron, when we were kind of talking about it and in no way mean disrespect to anybody involved in the project. I don't understand how this movie is largely going to be just kind of a festival film with an independent release kind of kick around and then show up on VOD or on cable. And that's all the extent of it. This movie is built conceived and rendered to be seen on the biggest screens possible. It's like, it's like one of those 40 minute IMAX documentaries you overpay to see on steroids. It's like 75 minutes long, I think, give or take. It is beautiful to watch and listen to the Australian chamber orchestra. It, you couldn't envision better music to accompany the visuals Willem Dafoe sounds initially like an odd choice for narration, but he fits it all perfectly. He's not talking a lot. He's anecdotal with his narration. It's also written very well um, in that, you know, the problem with narration on nature documentaries or just kind of more visually in tune documentaries is that they, they, they write what we're seeing. They, they, they basically just describe things for you. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves with movies like this is, is how they just tell you what you're looking at and they don't trust the viewer to make those connections. Defoe's words don't do that. They just amplify and sort of accentuate what we're looking at. And I did a little bit of note taking um, with the end credits. Cause I was really curious about how this movie was put together and there's footage here. It's, so it's mostly, so Jennifer Petum directed it, but it's a combination of her work and then little bits and pieces from some other films that are all sort of put together. So it's essentially a, but it doesn't feel like a patchwork quilt. It all feels genuine and synced well together and it fits great. There's footage from 21 different countries and there, there are 41 credited cinematographers on the project. Led by uh, a, fa- a famous one, Renan uh, Ozturk, who yes. did the majority of it. And it is it is yeah. stunning. And he's a climber as well. So he's obviously at ease with what he's doing. Aaron, I'll, I'll let you talk about it too. There is just some breathtaking moments in this movie that, again, I just – I can only imagine with the sound – the experience of seeing it in a big, big theater with a big screen and a clear sound – it's got to be an amazing experience to see something like this depicted that way or yeah. presented that way. I wholeheartedly agree. And I actually don't have a ton to say about it, which is, it's strange. I don't love the quote unquote story. Okay. It's got a story kind of, it's a historical essay of sorts, but it's written in this very poetic manner, almost like a love letter to the draw of the mountaintop. But it does kind of go back and it tracks through man's 
discovery of mountains hundreds of years ago and how we got to the point we're at now being so fascinated with kind of conquering these enormous structures. So there's elements of it that I just, I kind of checked out honestly, but it's because I was so mesmerized. I didn't care. Willem Dafoe's voice is so soft and soothing that (laughs) it, it kind of put my brain to sleep and I just enjoyed it from a sensory level if that yeah. makes sense the visuals and the, and the audio the choir playing not choir the orchestra playing in the background so it's good it's got a interesting information to it for you to listen to but it is just the kind of film that is on merit it's merit alone of the way it looks and it makes you feel and the experience it gives you into the beautiful world that we live on is unlike something you've ever seen it is all inspiring this has some high altitude imagery in it that if you have any fear of heights, I'm telling you right now, this is your warning. Like it is going to terrify you. There are moments in this film that I got dizzy just watching it because of the angle of the camera and what I was seeing these ridiculously insane human beings do. There, there are, yeah, there's a trigger here for anyone that maybe is prone to vertigo or, you know, some of the things you're describing, this is definitely a movie. It doesn't come with a warning. It's just, yeah, it's there. I mean, you have to be mindful of the fact that there are some just dizzying, literally some dizzying visuals. One of which I just still smile at because I can't, I just can't imagine. I mean, we've seen people walk the wire before. There's a guy walking a wire here. Aaron, you told me you thought it was CGI. I just, I thought it was like, because it doesn't comport with your mindset to see a guy walking on a wire where he's walking and how it's connected. I had to think it like I was telling myself, this is CGI. This can't be real. And it's not, it doesn't look fake. It looks completely genuine. And that's why my mind was telling me this can't be true. Um, there's just visuals like that. There's the, the, the scene where they, um, they leap and they're, they're basically wearing the suits. I, I don't know the name of the wing suit. suits. Yeah. The wing suits where they, Oh yeah. Fly like like a squirrel suit. Yeah. Yeah. The squirrel suit. And, and you are literally flying with them. Exceptional stuff. It's amazing. I will say for me, I didn't mind the premise. It may be, you know, in hindsight, as I listen to what you talk about, I think maybe it's a little on the nose. It's definitely poetic narration. And it's all about, like you said, sort of what is the mountain? What is the history? Why do we have to conquer these things? And, you know, I think the description, the symphony of the earth is is mentioned when we see like lava explosions and we see sort of the volatility of these things that have just been shown to us as being gorgeous, almost peaceful places. So yeah. All right. I did see a review where someone said, I just wanted him to stop talking. So I get that, but it, uh, it kind of worked for me. I, I, um, I just, I was really impressed. I don't know what I was expecting, but this blew it all away. I'm right there with you. I definitely, definitely give it a higher recommendation and say any interest at all in nature documentaries. And as long as you're not super afraid of heights, go see this on a big screen. I want to go see it on a big screen. My, you know, home 55 inch TV is not (laughs) for this. It's really, it's just not, I want to see it on the biggest screen possible. It's too bad. Like we didn't get that IMAX release or something, but we can see it. Uh, pretty quickly here right around the corner. So get tickets May 21st at 7 p.m. Sif Cinema Egyptian, May 22nd at 7 p.m. Majestic Bay. 
So that's the two chances you have Seattle. All right, Mike. Well, I appreciate it. This has been awesome. Yeah. I'm getting to go through these and do these. Hopefully we'll get a chance to do maybe one more with some films that we catch up with over the next week or two. Where yeah. can people find you other than, and we mentioned, should I see it? What's the actual website address? Where else can they talk to you if they want to engage with you in social media world? Sure. Um, should I see dot it? Should I see dot it is the website and I will start flooding it with SIF coverage. Um, once the festival gets rolling Plus, Deadpool exists, so I got to go see that too. There'll be some of those movies as well. It's not all film festival stuff. And then on Twitter, I'm at Should I See It. You can see my smiling mug and just um, give me a follow, send me a message, uh, anything, any any way you want to interact, I'm there. Where else am I? That's probably it, right? That's good. All right. And listeners, if you want to connect with me, you can always do that on Twitter at Feelin' Film Aaron or at Feelin' Film. Or you can come find me in the Facebook discussion group for Feelin' Film, which is our awesome community that is being built. Uh, people love to talk about movies every day. So come join that as well. Also, check out at Seattle Critics on Twitter. That's where your Seattle Film Critics Society lives as well. And you can find uh, different critics' reviews from SIF, the film festival, and other work being shared on a regular basis there. So you can follow Absolutely. along with all of your Seattle peeps. Well, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it and we hope you tune in to the next episode as well. 